0: And welcome back to the Cover 3 podcast here on CBS Sports. That's Danny Cannell. That's Tom Frenelli. That's Barton Simmons. I'm Chip Patterson. We got a lot to get to here on a Monday. Of course, we will get you with your doggy bag, with your knolls to go. We got two spreads in a row, and we are on the winning side down in Tallahassee. Uh, We will get to that in just a little bit. Some significant injury news in the ACC, uh, but we begin with the continued fallout from an embarrassing loss for the Tennessee volunteers. Now uh, this coaching change that that comes is actually on the defensive side of the ball. As Jeremy Pruitt announced that defensive line coach and co-defensive coordinator, Jimmy Brumbaugh has been fired. Pruitt said, you know, if you think it's not going to work out, you might as well make this change. Now he has indicated that he will, himself coached the defensive line for the rest of the season. Now, Brumbaugh just came in to the staff this year. He was a little bit of a late change. Uh, Barton, you do the the coaching highlights and lowlights. You are our resident assistant coaching aficionado. It, when If you had come to me and been like, hey, Chip, there's been a change uh, at Tennessee, I would say with starting quarterback. You like no no no, and they're like oh with a it's a coach oh oh is it like a shake up with the offensive staff how they're calling plays no it's with the it's with the defensive line coach like do you think that this is it tied to performance in in a way that makes you feel like this is going to be a way for Tennessee to get better?
2: I don't know about that. Um, I don't know about a way to, to 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 perceive to expect Tennessee to get better. I mean Jeremy Pruitt is going to take over the defensive line coaching job as you said. Um, this is, I I don't, I can't, I can't say that like you, I wouldn't have said that I would have expected this move. Um, I'm not watching the, the all 22 film. Like I'm not breaking it down on, on Sundays after the games. So maybe it looks a lot worse on film than it is with a casual watch. I will say that the Kentucky game was a bit of a, um, like it was a bad look second half when, Kentucky had the ball I think 21 of 30 minutes in the second half against uh against Tennessee. So they they did a really good job of possessing the football, you know, kind of plodding along, shortening the game, and I can imagine it was a little frustrating um for for Jeremy Pruitt to not be able to get the ball back and not be able to make the kind of comeback that he could have after they outgained them in the first half. Um and and yet like this is this is sort of the nature of the coaching industry is this is a guy who had a pretty secure job at Colorado. He probably would have been taken by Mel Tucker to Michigan State. He probably would be sitting pretty for another couple of years with the Michigan State gig right now, if you know a sweeter gig hadn't come along in the SEC. And here, less than one year in, he's out of a job, and and Pruitt's back on the market looking for a defensive line coach. So there's been some turnover in Pruitt's coaching staff over the last couple of years, uh, and uh, you know I just think that's sort of Pruitt. He's just gonna he's not going to just sort of settle for something that he's not happy with. Um, You know, whether this was like a deserved or not is, is, is kind of hard to say.
1: It doesn't make any sense to me at all. Like Tennessee two weeks ago against Georgia, I thought the most impressive part of that Tennessee team was its defense. Yeah. And I thought its defensive line did very well against a Georgia offensive line. That is one of the better ones in the country. And it's, you know, got NFL talent on it in the future. So I was like, okay, well, my eyes aren't really telling me anything that's behind this move. So then I, I go, what I found out the news, I go look at the stats. And if you look at like the advanced stats from football outsiders, like their defensive line metrics, Tennessee's defensive line ranks 21st nationally. So it's not elite, but it's not a problem. And if you go through on standard downs, it's 48th, but on passing downs, it's second opportunity rate. It's 10th power success rate. It's 18th stuff rate. It's 19th sack rate overall is 27th. The only real bad area it has so far is sack rate on standard downs where it ranks 68th nationally. So maybe Pruitt's pissed off that they're not getting enough pressure on the quarterback on first and second down, but I mean, overall, I thought this unit—you know—my eyes have told me this unit's been good, and the stats say it's been pretty good too. So I—I I don't know what this is. I feel like this could just be a coach who's kind of mad and looking to do <laughs> something to fire his team up. You know what doesn't make a lot of sense now either—that they gave a
3: raise to Jeremy Pruitt what three weeks ago because mm. they started off two and zero like that. That like you talk about zero sense whatsoever, and uh, it—it's driven me nuts because this Tennessee kind of. Momentum has been building, and I've just been watching it being like, do we realize who they've beaten in this eight-game win streak? It's nobody. And then the minute they face a couple opponents with a pulse – they look kind of like they did when people were all up in arms about Jeremy Pruitt last year when they started off one and two and, you know, got off to a rough start. So that was my first reaction, like, all right, all right. And then, like, I'm glad I'm not a defensive lineman in that room. Like, oh, boy, like you talk about, oh, crap, like here comes the enforcer. Like, but it doesn't make a ton of sense, I guess. Hey, if you have that mentality, if you want to get something done, you have to do it yourself. I mean, this is the ultimate example of that. What if it doesn't get turned around? Like, then who are you going to point the finger at? And here's my ultimate like opinion in all of this. Coaches have really big egos, and sometimes they just don't mix for whatever reason. And I'm not even saying that's it. They have right. big personalities. Maybe it just wasn't working, and it was the opportunity. And so you said, you know what? This is the perfect opportunity to make a change. I'm just going to nip it in the bud right now, be done with it, and move on.
2: Well, Pruitt did have a quote. I think he said something like uh, – we just had philosophical differences or something. <laughs> yeah.
1: Wasn't there something like that? Mm-hmm. And, it's, yeah, that's that's code for I think I could do a better job coaching the defensive line than he has. Yeah. Or
3: I can't stand this guy. Yeah, yeah right. You know, like exactly. like Or that.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like I'm thinking
2: I thinking maybe that like Pruitt like was getting in his ass after a game and Jimmy Brumbaugh like snapped back and Pruitt was like, No, 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 like, this is my show. Like get your ass out of here. We'll go hire right. somebody else. You ain't that good. Um, but who knows, but that's sort of what it feels like.
0: But to me, the we've landed here after the move and Tennessee still has all the same problems. It's still got Jarrett Garantano as a quarterback. It's still got like it is still putting the football on the platter for opposing teams and not being able to develop any kind of consistency against teams that have strong defensive lines. And the the, the time of possession, I know that was something you just mentioned and something you wrote about in coaching highlights and lowlights. Like that's that that was frustrating, but but it's also frustrating when you've got multiple pick sixes in the same game. Like you take those points away, and this is just a classic rock fight where maybe Tennessee's gonna be able to have a chance. Chance and not feel like it's so hamstrung to have to score so quickly. So you're, you're looking at Tennessee moving ahead and you're just like, well, um, this, this might've been good for Jeremy Pruitt, or maybe this was a chemistry issue on the coaching staff, but they're still going to get hammered by Alabama. They still might lose to Arkansas. Uh,
3: they might. Are we sure? Is Tom sure about that? Okay, yeah, I guess we need to call? check
0: it. Upset check. Upset check, Tennessee, Alabama.
1: <laughs> Not looking good for right now for the Vols in my mind. Just that matchup. I I, I worry about Jared Guarantano against that yeah. defense. Just a hunch.
0: Like Auburn and Vanderbilt. And again, like... Uh, the Arkansas, like you're you're looking at basically they're two and two right now, and five and five seems likely. And I think they probably would have been five and five even if everybody had to swallow their ego and continue to move forward. I don't think that this is uh, anything that is going to have me feeling like a spark was put in the balls or that any problems were answered.
2: I, no, go ahead. Well, I was just going to say I, I think Danny's point is. And and I I actually still tend to believe that like I'm not like bailing on Jerry Pruitt I think Jerry Pruitt is still a good hire I think he's going to have I think he has things pointing in the right direction I think he's going to be the right coach for Tennessee and but I think it's I I do think it's relevant to be like all right so you're firing your your defensive line coach you just got a raise and and you look across this country like Dino Babers right now is is about to go fourth out of five years sub 500 but the one year he gets 10 wins he gets a huge raise so now they got a 17 million dollar buyout or whatever it is and and so it's just unnecessary like why is there this this compulsion to to throw this money at these coaches before they need it like Jeremy Pruitt was going to this was going to be a a a very enlightening season about Jeremy Pruitt regardless like what's the rush 2 games in so I, again I'm not doubting Pruitt but it it's it is it's right, uh,
3: and that's not like this was not a bass Jeremy Pruitt start. Yeah. I can't believe they gave him a raise. It was literally I can't believe they gave him a raise because there was absolutely zero reason to do that. I think the the, the one takeaway is there are some very smart business savvy agents out there, and yes. there are some athletic directors presidents who maybe not as much as, as as business savvy as some of these agents are, and. They are terrified. If I let my coach get away and he goes somewhere else and we lose him and we're back to the doldrums or back to four and eight, then I'm going to get fired. So they say no one's going to second guess this. I paid my guy, and yet that's who should be accountable in all of this. Are the
0: people that are doling out these extensions? Simi Jexton, maybe. Yeah, so it's yeah. <laughs> no. just the fi- the fine work of one of the great power brokers in the uh, college football coaching industry. Bart, I you should one know of those why things?
1: all these coaches... <laughs> You should know why these coaches get these extensions, Barton, because you know, when you talk to recruits, the number one thing on every recruits right. mind is always, well, this coach only has three years left on his right. deal and this one's got exactly. four. So I'm going there.
2: Yeah. Well, you know what? I was thinking about going to uh, Florida, but I saw that extension.
1: I saw the, I saw what coach Pruitt's making. Now I'm going to go to Tennessee. Lo- I love that. I message words to say, like, well, we got to extend him for recruiting.
0: It's like, no, you uh, don't. Um, I was, I was looking ahead and I just mentioned uh, Tennessee after Arkansas quick sidebar are we too excited about Arkansas right now like I, I think that we've we've hit a dividing line where you've either got to decide that Arkansas is the second best team in the SEC West and one of the great stories in the conference or we're just way overreacting to everything we've seen from the hogs and that over the course of the rest of the SEC season there's going to be some regression
1: I think expectations certainly play a role because I mean Listen, I'm really excited about Arkansas. I'm enjoying Arkansas. I, I posed the idea that maybe they might be the second best team because they could be 3-1 and one right now. If the refs didn't screw up that Bo Nix call, we could be talking about a 3-1 Arkansas team. But I think that it comes through the frame of what we expected before the season because nobody expected that. We, we were talking about whether they'd win a single game, let alone mm-hmm. two. So the fact that they're 2-2 two and two right now when we were thinking 1-9 and was a very likely possibility. And hell, they've got more SEC wins in the last three weeks than they did in the last three years.
3: I think Arkansas could lose almost every game, and I still think it was a great story. Now, the Mm -hmm. momentum of it, of course, would die down. It would feel like a little bit of a thud to finish the season, and I don't think they do. That's the great part of this story is I think they can win more games. Like, let's let it play out before we have to make a call on just how good or bad of the year this was. Either way, it's been fantastic so far. And I think, I mean, I, this is crazy because there were a couple schools when we did win totals. It was oh, Arkansas W, and now that oh, yeah. we're not <laughs> saying that is awesome. Like I love that we're able to have that conversation. I think the Tennessee game is going to be phenomenal. I think uh, shoot the Texas and M game. Like you're like Tom, you're saying that like that's going to be a compelling game. There's a lot more football left for Arkansas to play.
2: Let's just enjoy it and see how it plays out. I think the more interesting, like to me, the more interesting story is less about is Arkansas, you know, second or third best team in the West more about is the West not a very good division. Like mm. they all receded to Arkansas. And it's really interesting that this year where potentially that's the case where Arkansas, Mississippi state, Auburn, uh, LSU, and what Texas A&M, I guess, uh, who am I also missing? Like they're just all this, there's this kind of pack together and we can't, we can't add any relativity to it because there, none of these teams are playing non-conference games. And so we, we just sort of have to decide whether this is, you know, Arkansas getting good or the rest of the conference getting bad. I mean, obviously it's, it, it is some element of both, but, um, but no, I think in terms of Arkansas's expectations, like I, I'm like, a, I'm glad you brought that up and not me. Cause I'm the anti-SEC
3: was- guy, but, I do like Georgia fans were upset because I was like, you know what? I don't know if you guys belong in the playoff, and they're like, well, we played Bama tough, we've got we're undefeated. What if we win the rest? Start, you know, outside of like to this point, you look at it like Auburn wasn't as good as we thought they were, you know. Now, I'll, like it, it works in both ways though. Arkansas is better win now than it looks like it was at the time, but I it it looks like this could be a case where you really see cannibalization, like, and all of a sudden it could be Bama and a bunch of two lost teams or a, a bunch of 500 teams with maybe Georgia, maybe Florida up there. A&M has a chance to be there. But, like, A&M is a good example. Find another impressive win on their resume if the West is exactly what you just stated, Barton. And it's tough to justify, hey, these are a lot of wins where they belong to be that second team in the playoff. So, like, you kind of need some teams to step up and, and be better than just 500.
0: If South Carolina beats LSU this weekend, and by the way, uh, Miles Brennan uh, still questionable to play against South Carolina as what Ed O'Dron is describing as a quote significant lower body injury. We discussed the the initial injury news last week before LSU Florida got canceled. Uh, Barton, you know, you filled in. We're going to a pair of true freshmen. The way that the offense sets up, you need to be an accurate passer. Neither of them particularly looks like uh, uh, they are ready for that moment at this point in their young careers. If South Carolina beats LSU, SEC East is better than the SEC West, hands down, right? Because those are two mid-tier teams this year. South Carolina and LSU, probably each about the fourth best team. If South Carolina's got wins against Auburn and LSU, gotta say East is better than the West. So, hmm. West to us, so- champ.
2: So West Best versus West Best versus East Best, West Two versus West First, East Two have both gone to the West. So you know you got Bam over Georgia, A and M over Florida. So you, you know it's what do you you know what's more uh, but more, is it depth the, or the, or the uh, it, it depends on the year. Like we know how this
3: <laughs> game plays out. It depends on what narrative you want to push. Like is it the top or is it the depth? I, and it will depend the rest of the season too.
0: Little bit of injury news. Uh, speaking of Miles Brennan coming from the ACC, like, quote, significant is what uh, Coach O used. But I, I'm going to declare this one incredibly significant as NC State finds out that Devin Leary will miss four to eight weeks after a lower body injury. He had, um, I believe it was an ankle, he had successful surgery. And four to eight weeks, I mean, that is, I mean, we're talking about coming back you know, you might get pretty two or th- the pretty much the season. Yeah. yeah, you might get two or three games in the best case scenario and that's where it all of a sudden turns to Bailey Hockman who, uh, did did y'all see the, the one-handed against the helmet catch by Thayer Thomas? And yes. did you notice how Duke should have had it as an interception <laughs> instead yeah. in that same moment? Like that is the tightrope that NC State's offense is going to walk on with Bailey Hockman where you just got to hope that it goes through the DB's hands and the wide receiver can pin it to the side of his helmet. Now he is a mobile quarterback, and maybe we start to see some of the bright spots from uh, him being able to run the ball alongside a Ricky Person Jr. and a Bam Knight. But you know, NC State just pops up in the rankings as a top twenty-five team. Rivalry game against North Carolina this week, first time both teams have been ranked in the top twenty-five uh, since nineteen ninety-three uh, when they go down and have that meeting. So I'm, I mean, do you see uh, a way? for Bailey Hockman to keep NC State in the top 25?
1: No. I mean, it's. I feel like Devin Leary is not Trevor Lawrence or Mac Jones or anybody of that caliber, but I just felt like the difference between this NC State offense from when it had Hockman early in the year going to Leary, it just felt so much more dangerous and so much more difficult to defend because there was a lot more you had to respect about it. Whereas I feel like when Hockman's in there, you can just kind of keep your guys up close to the line of scrimmage bunch everything up and say try to get the ball over us because we don't think you can make that throw to begin with so I think they become a lot easier to defend and I think that limits their ceiling and it's a real shame because they were they are off to a really good start and I think that they had a chance to be not like you know competing for an ACC title but a team that's going to be finishing in the top 25 being in the rankings all season long even after everybody gets back and keeps going but now I just it's going to be hard for them to stay there this at at this point with Hockman and unless he takes a major step forwards as a passer, because from what I've seen of him so far, I, I don't see it happening. Here's the, th-
2: the the nice thing is this is where you come to the realization and the clarity that, uh, yeah, I would say the tougher part of their schedule is behind them. Now they still got Miami and North Carolina, but this is the team that doesn't get Clemson and doesn't get Notre Dame, not either, or doesn't get both. Uh, and so you got Notre, you got North Carolina and Miami in the next couple weeks. Then you got whatever Mount Florida State is. You got whatever Liberty is. You got Syracuse and you got Georgia Tech. I mean, that's that's if you can get to they got four wins right now. If you can get three out of that, huh? I mean, if you can get to Liberty, Syracuse, Georgia Tech, that's that's all right. Um, but to 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 your point, Tom, yes, like I was so impressed. With this offense, that first game against Wake Forest, put up 45 points, they won, they're balanced. Uh, I, I made Tim Beck my offensive coordinator of the week, and yet it all felt very much like it was in spite of, not because of, Bailey Hockman. It was like, it, it, was, it was walking the tightrope on, all right, how do we, you know, just pass it enough to keep them off balance, but not not leave our guy too exposed that's going to bite them. I and mean, that's going to bite them against a Miami. I, I don't know how they beat a Miami now. Um, who, wh- you know, who knows in North Carolina, but you just got to assume that those are two games you go in there and you're interested in, you think they're winnable. And I just, I don't know how that those two games are winnable right now. Isn't this season? I mean,
3: it's already going way better than expected for NC state. So you've got a little bit of house money. You kind of have an excuse going in. And I look at the game this weekend North Carolina is the team that's reeling, I think, a little bit more. Like, they, and you know, we talk about Florida State later. We still don't know what Florida State is, but you still lost that game. Now it's kind of like, all right, what really is this North Carolina team? They're feeling a little bit more pressure. And there is sort of a built in excuse for NC State if they don't play well against an in state rival. So maybe it allows them to relax and maybe, maybe there's a confidence in it's not like you got somebody you don't know what you're going to get. Right. So you should be able to build an offense around Bailey Hawkman. Like, you know what you've got and there's something to be said about a team. That's got some confidence. Hey, man, we've seen, we can win. And I know the quarterback is gone, but this team is more confident than they were, you know, week one. Cause they've seen themselves win and there will be a drop off. But I think, I think from here on out, like, yeah, I think six or seven wins would be a massive achievement for this team.
0: Last you know,
3: out without, without Leary, you know,
0: for sure. Last two games, defense has played a lot better. Aleem McNeil's awesome. Young secondary starting to force some turnovers. The, they're they're going to need it. Peyton Wilson's a monster. That guy f- flies around the field. Uh, it'll be... They'll, they'll need it. They'll need every bit of that defense, especially going up against, uh, going up against the Tar Heels. All right. There's, uh, speaking of quarterback injury news, uh, we might be getting Spencer Sanders back. Initial indications from Stillwater look like uh, going into a massive game against Iowa State. Sanders, uh, the Big Ten newcomer of the year in 2019, might be back in the lineup. Uh, Oklahoma State has, because you had the, the Baylor game postponed, they've just done that thing that happens this year where you just... Like, Notre Dame just sort of sat on the side, right? And we make so much out of every single week because we have so little football that when a team takes a couple weeks off, it's easy for them to drift away. But this is one of the the biggest games of the week, really, and definitely one of the biggest games in terms of the Big 12 title race between Iowa State and Oklahoma State. So, Mr. Pokes, the, like... That's, do you think that Spencer Sanders' return or Shane Illingworth having to go out there and and face this Iowa State defense, are you feeling either way like this is going to be a, a time where Oklahoma State's able to show out in a big spotlight opportunity? I mean, they're daggum number six in the country.
2: I, is, I, I was assuming that Spencer Sanders has been teed up here ready to roll the last couple of weeks. Is that not – I mean, I thought he was he – was uh, yeah, they he was pop, almost pop. ready before.
3: He's definitely playing.
2: Yeah. Okay. So then I'm not. Uh, so okay. So we got a Spencer Sanders. Let I know that Ben Kurtzval is trying to say that like Shane Illingworth is 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 potentially going to beat out Spencer Sanders, but no, that's not. I don't think that that is true. I think Spencer Sanders is, is is allows this offense to be really good. I think that this is a huge game. I think that they will win. I think that Oklahoma State will continue to assert itself as one of the top teams in the country. Right now, it is very much a guess. It is very much a projection. It, it you know they haven't really played anybody, um, but they have played the teams they have played have played pretty good defense. Tulsa's a pretty good defense. West Virginia is number one in the country, I think, in, in uh, yards play defense. Is that is mm-hmm. that? Inaccurate?
0: No, but there's a like your colleague Brendan Marcelo had a nice pushback on that. Like there's there's the dueling narratives. There's like hey. Defense is down everywhere, but the best defenses are in the Big Twelve. And like you, you dive into that, saying, and you're like, "Wait, wait, 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 wait! Are we really ready to say that the Big Twelve is going to be the conference of defense this year? Like, there's there, there's a Texas Tech game around the corner. There's Texas and Oklahoma's defense, like."
2: I am we'll not see. saying West Virginia is Georgia West, right. I'm just saying, or well, Georgia North, I guess, whatever it is. I'm just saying that it's, it's a, it, you know, like they've Oklahoma state's offense, even without Spencer Sanders has played some competent defensive units. So like the fact that they're not throwing up 45 isn't, it doesn't concern me. The fact their defense is playing great is awesome. is very encouraging. And I think that they, you know, both come together for, for this Iowa state game in a, in a way that it will, 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 I think make a statement one way or the other, either it'll prove me wrong or prove me right.
1: You know, you know, one thing that the two best defenses in the country, West Virginia and Oklahoma state have in common, <laughs> they both they just played play Kansas. Yeah. No, they <laughs> play Kansas and that really helps your defensive numbers, especially in a small sample. Yeah. When
0: you've got a small sample size, Oklahoma state's played three games, West Virginia's played four. And one of those games for each of them is Kansas. And one of them for West Virginia is Eastern Kentucky. Okay.
2: Mm-hmm. <laughs> and the other one is each other. Yeah, no, they, they haven't played each other. No, even they well. did. Yeah, right, right. Sorry, sorry. Yeah, yeah. I was confused. When you look at this
3: um, quarterback situation that's unfolding, so I guess Gundy said both quarterbacks will likely play Illingworth and Sanders. Um, I don't, I do you feel like, are any are of you guys worried that we were projecting a massive jump in Spencer, Spencer Sanders from last year to this year? I think I was. You know, he was, but he wasn't great last year, struggled somewhat, did not put up typical Mike Gundy quarterback type of numbers. So I don't, maybe there is more to this story than, hey, you just plug him right back in. Maybe you do see both quarterbacks as Shane Ellingworth coming off a game uh, where he had three touchdowns and zero interceptions against guess who? Kansas. Um, but, but it is, but I I do wonder how this will unfold if there is more of a competition. My hunch tells me it's probably a coach doing those, do the things that coach does. Hey, be ready for both. And then you'll go with one, but I don't think it's like Spencer Sanders. It's not like you're getting a, you know, a grad transfer. Somebody who's had a lot of playing experience and played great. He still needs to take that next jump to make this offense as good as they want it to be.
2: I agree with that a hundred percent, and that's definitely part of the calculation that has me bullish on Oklahoma State. The only thing is, like to this point, there is no reason to think he hasn't taken that jump. Like we've seen one drive out of him, and they scored on that drive, um, and so I, I'm I'm not I'm not doubting it yet. But I but absolutely, that's that's got to be part of the deal is Spencer Sanders being really good.
1: My 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 question though, because like let's say it is Gundy doing like the the mind games that coaches will do. Like, is there enough of a difference between Sanders and Ellingworth to even really try that? Cause it's not like one of them is the running QB and one of them's the pocket guy. They're both pretty much, you know, guys that are doing all their damage from the pocket with their arms. So I I don't know, maybe, maybe, uh, know. maybe I mean, Ben kirchhoff has been in Gundy's ear, man. Maybe he's been telling him, listen, you I got the guy already. I think Spencer Sanders is significantly more athletic than Shane Ellingworth.
2: Like, I think he provides a significantly more dynamic threat. So I, I think they would be very different game plans in terms of the way you would attack them
0: um, defensively. Coming up on the other side, some significant personnel information coming from one of the big 10 teams that are going to be kicking off their 2020 season this weekend. And as promised, we'll have our nulls to go next. Robert
1: half research indicates nine out of 10 hiring managers are having difficulty hiring.
0: When you're making your picks, when you're choosing winners, when you want to look good, confidence is it's, it's essential. You know, it's, it's how you're able uh, to go about your day and accomplish all the goals that you need. And I know that, you know, feeling really confident is easier when you've got some good clothes, like the new look that you've got from express. And I think the big thing that comes here is that you've got all day comfort. It might feel like your favorite sweats with the extra stretch, but it's a flattering fit. You don't look like a slob out there, you know, it just makes your life easier to have one outfit or a few different pieces that Can work from, you know, the most casual setting uh, or, you know, the most fancy work event. And so that is why we want you to be able to share in this kind of comfort, share in this kind of versatility uh, with Express. And the way that you can get $25 off your $50 purchase is to text cover to 397-737. Once again, that's text cover, C-O-V-E-R to 397-737 to receive $25 off your $50 purchase purchase. We're talking wrinkle-resistant fabric. It's great for traveling, and of course, as we mentioned, all-day comfort. Make sure that you can go about your day with confidence, with versatility in the most comfortable way possible. Do it with Express and get $25 off your $50 purchase by texting COVER to 397-737. So one of the interesting uh, details about the the way that things unfolded in the Big Ten was the opportunity for some of these players that declared for the NFL draft, and even some of them that signed with agents, they were allowed to come back. You know, the NCAA was going to allow them to be eligible. The schools worked with the clearinghouse, you know, as long as it, any benefits, any it's insignificant, impermissible benefits. You can say that. Insignificant, impermissible benefits. Like, if you could prove that, like, yeah, here's what we got paid back, blah, 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 you're good to go. This is very significantly a Rashad Bateman, you know, declared for the NFL draft, but uh, was able to get cleared, able to return. He joins a Minnesota offense and a Minnesota team that we're all very excited about that Minnesota team will be hosting Michigan on Saturday night in Minneapolis. And uh, Jim Harbaugh confirmed on Monday that Nico Collins would not be with the team. He's not on the roster and it kind of shuts the door on uh, the idea that he might be, back in the fold with the Wolverines after being one of those players that initially declared for the NFL draft, uh, quote, Nico is not participating in football right now. I don't have a crystal ball as to if his mind would change. I know he is not currently on the team. Uh, He's been a very, uh, very talented player within that Michigan passing attack, not individually prolific. He had 729 receiving yards and seven touchdowns, but again, decided to opt out before the Big Ten announced his return. So you're also losing from this Michigan team, Shea Patterson, four starting offensive linemen and wide receiver Donovan Peoples-Jones. Michigan starts as a top 25 team in the polls after reentering sort of where they were around the preseason. I mean, Tom, do what what's realistic? Uh what what's the loss here for Collins? Who do you think steps up? Like and you know, where where are we at? Now we will. We are going to have full Big 10 win totals coming this week. We we teased it on Twitter over the weekend and it's going to be coming up. Um but, you know, maybe without tipping your hand, we're not breaking down schedules or anything like this, but man like this this feels like a a a reality check for me that just putting michigan number 3 in the division and walking away feeling like my job is done this year might not be the year for it
1: yeah it's in one way it's big like i don't want to ignore it but at the same time like you mentioned they've already lost so much. Like if we go back to the preseason and we look at Bill Connolly's returning production, you know, rankings, Mm -hmm. Michigan was already at the bottom of that list anyway, because they had a ton to replace. So I feel like at this point, maybe losing Nico Collins isn't as badly felt just because you already had a ton to replace, but like, it is significant in that his overall numbers weren't amazing last year. He had the 37 catches, 729 yards. But he did have seven touchdowns, and he was the big play threat in that offense. This was an offense last year that really didn't have a whole lot of explosiveness to it. And Collins was kind of like that release valve. He was the one guy that they could go to. Shea Patterson felt comfortable going deep. And if you look at the receiving core from last year, Ronnie Bell, the team's leading receiver, is back, but he's more of a possession receiver type guy who has questionable hands sometimes. Nico was second. Donovan people Jones, he's gone after that streak black. He's at Texas. He's gone. You had your tight ends, Nick Eubanks and Sean McKeon. They're both gone. There aren't really any proven entities besides Ronnie Bell in that receiver core right now. And if this is a team that, you know, is going to make any noise in the big 10 this year, it's going to have to answer a lot of questions and it's starting the season with Minnesota at Minnesota. So it's not like there's a soft landing for them to try to figure these things out. They've got a really tough game right off the bat. Yeah.
2: I mean, this is, this is, this is Josh Gaddis year two. This is year one of Joe Milton. This is Harbaugh getting backed in the corner a little bit. What is he like? Like, only two years left on his contract
0: or something this year and one more <laughs> uh, Yes. The, uh, I think he's got 14 months left on his, uh, contract. There was like this, the window to extend him. Speaking of like contract extensions, the window to extend him kind of came and went during this off season. And Didn't Harbaugh his own agent. There was some indication. So Harbaugh <laughs> that, uh, remember like, that Jim Harbaugh's aggressive stance towards continuing to practice and the fact that they should be playing, I think uh, was going against some of the general positions of Michigan's university leadership. And there is, and and I think the way that the story is being painted is that maybe if that relationship was a little bit cozier during this off season, maybe a deal would have gotten done but as it stands, I think he's got 14 months left on his contract, and uh, and we'll see what happens based on how things go this year.
1: I, I also think that part of it is that they weren't really interested in announcing a contract extension during a pandemic when everything had been shut
0: True. down. True, it's and those things do like the deal gets done and then the deal doesn't get announced until you know way later and after the fact. So that's definitely a part of this. But uh, yeah, the this is Pete Thamel. Uh, why does he only have 14 months left on his deal? Do Harbaugh's Hyatt results match Michigan's Ritz Carlton ambitions? That's a sports writer line if I've ever
3: heard one. <laughs> that is a great line. It's uh, but with the, with Nico Collins being out, I think we've seen on full display a couple teams. Now, I don't think. I mean, I, oh, I have another question for you guys too. My ADD has got a little best of me. Um. What do you guys think the line? Have you guys checked the line on the Minnesota game?
1: Uh, I could check it really.
0: Because
3: when you guys were talking about, it, I was like I wonder if Michigan is a favorite. They are a favorite. They're a three-point favorite. I'm looking at it like why? Like it's in Minnesota. They've got a lot of returning players. Minnesota does. I don't. But this this game this year is huge. But as I was getting back to Nico Collins, like game-changing receivers. And I know Nico Collins wasn't as good as some players that are flourishing this year, but he was going to be the big play guy for Michigan. Look at what was on display at at, Georgia versus Bama this Saturday night. Like you saw one team had multiple guys, playmakers. You saw one where they're really trying to make George Pickens into one, and he kind of is struggling a little bit to break out in that role. Look at Notre Dame. Notre Dame's a team that's ranked fourth, but they're being held back because they don't have a playmaker at receiver. Like – these guys aren't walking around the street, like just, Hey, we'll go grab another one or we'll get another one off the bench. or are off. It just, so I think it could be a significant impact on Joe Milton's development and the, how far this offense wants to go barring somebody else younger that steps up and all of a sudden just takes over that alpha wide receiver, you know, big play type of guy. But without seeing that yet, it's kind of like, man, this could be a rough year for Michigan.
1: Yeah, no spoiler alert. If like, Bateman's playing, Ottman's Bell's playing, and Tanner Morgan are all playing on Saturday, and Minnesota's still an underdog. I'll be all over <laughs> Minnesota.
0: <laughs> three and a half right now. If we're no. giving, if we're giving out early winners,
1: but see that's the thing. I, 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 it's too early. You never know <laughs> these days. You're going to find out half the offensive line has got COVID and hasn't practiced in three weeks.
0: Would we just find that out? Are are they keeping all that tight? Because I know we've got daily testing. Like an hour before a kick.
1: Like, oh, none of these guys are dressed in on the the field.
3: But in the Big Ten, it can't be too many, right? Because if it's too many, then they're shut down. So at Mm -hmm. least we'll know like we have some comfort. It's not going to be the whole team. So on that
2: note, how do you guys feel about this Baylor line? Like Baylor, I can't remember. I don't even know what the line is. But Baylor is like now, like it's newsworthy. Baylor is
0: working out. Mm-hmm. is is there is Baylor do, against do Texas just,
2: yeah do you just have to to fade Baylor here or do you just have to stay away or do we think that Baylor could be could could have maintained sort of operational uh capacity over the last whatever it's been 3 weeks i'm scared of any covid
3: related shutdown where are they after what happened in the nfl in your backyard there barton when the titans smoked the bills and i I was one of those people were like hey they can't be they can't be game ready i mean they blew them out and they had like two practices so and i know it's nfl it's different but man i just think you get i i don't love trying to read in too much into that what's going on behind the scenes without knowing you know
2: but that's sort well, of I like my, the way you're thinking. Well, like yeah, like are we getting some free value on Baylor because of the COVID stuff and in fact Baylor maybe maybe they're fresh. I, they're chopping at the bit.
0: I, I, my, my strong uh, initial in, in inclination there is that you've got a potential, you've got a dead man walking in Tom Herman, a potential fracturing in the locker room over who will and won't stand for the eyes of Texas after the game. And uh, a little bit of just all that and more than a touchdown. If you just want to jump on the other side and be like, yeah, Texas might win, but they don't deserve to be more than a touchdown favorite against anybody. Yeah, it's nine and a half right
1: now.
2: It's gone down. It was it was it was north of 10. Yeah, it was history. like 11
1: 10 and a half when it first opened.
0: See, that's uh that would that that would be somebody that's uh that's already jumping on that side right there, right? Somebody that's already going back, like, "Oh, I don't think I don't, I don't think Baylor should be downgraded that much in that kind of scenario." Is that the play?
1: Yeah. I mean, <laughs> We like Danny was saying it's it's hard to know. I mean, I feel it like it's some teams will probably react better to it than others. And like you know, Tennessee maybe they had a lot more than two practices. We should go to Barton's High School to find out how many they were there for. <laughs> but it's like you, you know we what, don't know what Baylor's been doing. You know what it's like to me? It's like bowl season when you're
3: trying to figure out who's motivated and who's not. Yeah. and you and you always go to the like affirmation after you're like, oh, yeah, they didn't want to be there. You knew it. But then there's always a surprise team that was, you know, picked to be a playoff team and they finished the season, you know, seven and five or, you know, they finished the regular season um, six and five and they go blow out their opponent because for whatever reason, they just flipped the switch and they turned it on. Like it's such an inexact
2: science. I don't know. Well, Virginia Tech's taking us on this roller coaster, like COVID yes. related, <laughs> like in one team. They've been, they've they blown were out. Though, that was easy. <laughs> like,
3: they were, that was Fuente's sandbag and be like, oh, I don't have anybody today. <laughs> like just setting it up. Cause then if you lose, you got an excuse. And if you win, you're the greatest coach ever.
2: Yeah. But then they, so, but they, they, they had the blowout when we thought they had nobody because of COVID. And then they got like their, 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 their tail whipped because they didn't have anybody. And then they <laughs> still didn't have anybody. And then they, beat somebody else like it's been
1: I'm starting to think Justin Fuente is making up players that aren't even on the team and he's just (laughs) listing them as out oh yeah we're missing these 23 guys there's Joe Smith Joe Smith the third John Smith
0: (laughs) Stetson Bennett the fifth sixth and seventh (laughs) out there Uh, there's another interesting uh, I guess you could say COVID adjacent or COVID related betting line out there where Cincinnati which had positive tests that led to that Tulsa game getting postponed is going to be going on the road to play SMU who just survived in overtime at Tulane. Again, first game without uh Reggie Roberson, first game without TJ McNeil, but you know, the offense still cooked. Shane Buschel had 380 some odd passing yards. Uh, but SMU is a favorite against Cincinnati in that game. Is that, is that Cincinnati getting docked? Or do you think that SMU is a deserving favorite?
1: I think they're deserving, honestly. <laughs>
0: SMU is pretty mean. good. SMU is a pretty good football team.
1: Yeah. I, I, I'm, I'm sure the COVID stuff is certainly playing a role there because you know, Cincinnati opened as a one and a half point favorite in that game. And it has moved to the SMU side. So clearly I, I, I think Cincinnati's a good team. I don't know if I consider them good enough to be favored on the road against SMU though, especially with the layoff. But again, we, we have no idea how any of these teams are going to react to any of this stuff. It's all Bill Conley's
2: latest from ESPN. He's, he, um, he listed the top five offenses and top five defenses in S and P Plus. Uh, if you don't factor in any preseason expectations, because he has all these like you know preseason yeah. models built in, if it's just purely the results, and I think he, I think Cincinnati was like number one or something just based on the season alone in defense. On defense, sorry, yeah, yeah.
0: Yeah, because of that uh, Austin P Army in South Florida. South Florida, <laughs>
2: mm-hmm. South, South, South Florida is doing the Kansas on a lot of folks. Right now. Man, I'd say where they, I think
3: I think the reason. I mean, Desmond Ritter is a little inconsistent, right? I mean, yes. that's that's the issue. If he ironed things out and was just a little bit more careful with the football. This team would be so dangerous, but I think that's a specific reason in a high possession game where SMU is going to put up some points. Like you're going to trust Desmond Ritter, it's hard to based on what we've seen so far this year.
1: It's kind of a tangent here, based on because we're talking about Cincinnati. But I wrote this about this in the Monday after this morning. Why the hell is Cincinnati ranked ahead of BYU in the AP poll and coaches poll? Because like, they started the higher. Oh, no. You, you want to yeah. get in the AP poll though? That's like, what you I'm wanna, it's like. It's it, this is it's like the perfect example of just poll mentality of, well, they were already there and they won. So just keep pushing them up a spot or two. It's like, what have, what, what have you seen from watching Cincinnati this year compared to what you've seen from watching BYU that makes you think, oh, yeah, Cincinnati's four spots better than BYU. I'm disappointed in you in particular
2: for Nelly, OK, we have our CBS it has been the CBS 76 for the mm-hmm. first six weeks of the year this weekend we were given the full 127 teams that are playing this year's ballot. And I, being a man of principle, turned my ballot in top 50 teams only with the teams that have played. I get an incredulous email from our editor, Adam Silverstein, saying, hey, the instructions were to include all the teams that, uh, in the ballot this week. I said, well, I've included all the teams that I want on there because they're the only ones that have played. And he said, oh, okay, well, if that's the way you want to do it, that's fine. You're just the only person that chose to vote that way. So thanks for leaving me out on the island as the only person in the CVS Sports College football family that has any sort of moral compass amongst us.
1: Listen, I, uh, I, I probably shouldn't talk about this on the show. Maybe we could talk about it after the show. I have turned it because I have always ranked every single team. When we do these rankings every single week, based off the rankings in my formula, well, this year my formula is blown to hell because it really doesn't understand how it can rank teams that have played one game versus teams that have played five games. So the first week of the year, we get you know we get our ballots. Adam has us turn them in, and I turn mine in, and I get an email from Adam that's like, "No." I was like, what do you mean? No. And he says, no, this isn't a believable ballot. I'm like, well, what's not believable about it? And he's like, this is, that's what my rankings say. And he's like, no, this is going to completely screw up our rankings. <laughs> so I've had to turn in. I've, he's had me turn in my own rankings, Censorship. just opinion based. Yeah. I'm being censored. <laughs> I am being censored. I cannot turn in my ballot the way I want to trust me. It's probably for the best because right now in my ranking, since they've only played one game and they beat the crap out of Navy doing it, Air Force is the number one team <laughs> in the country. But yeah, so I, I was told to bring it in teams and he told me to add, you know, the Big Ten and the Pac-12. So I said, okay, because honestly, we talked about this a little bit on Saturday too. I sure as hell wasn't gonna put Notre Dame at number three. So Ohio State threw me a life vest. <laughs> I was able to put Ohio State at number three this week. But is <laughs> he just put like he's put George at three?
3: Oh, don't do that. Don't do that, Parton. <laughs> don't
1: don't so don't, don't get started. I put, this put him at Georgia four. Pod, though. I put him at four. I mean, they're still ahead of Notre Dame in my point. Yeah.
2: Danny, I am not I, I do not have your back on the whole like <laughs> If you lose, you drop no matter what. Well, they have to drop somewhere. If you lose to a team that's ranked higher than you, the team that ranks higher than you is supposed to beat you. What about the score? Does that matter? Like, it's not
3: like they lost by a field goal. They got run in the second half, and it's the same exact thing we've Uh, seen every single meeting that we've seen Georgia versus Vama every single
2: time. Who is better than Georgia? right now. Who did I you put in? I still think Florida Georgia. is.
3: I did not put them. I, but but what do we know based on Georgia? It goes back to the Tennessee win does not look as good. The Auburn win does not look as good. The Arkansas win, ironically, is the best one. And that was the sloppiest, ugliest one they had at the time. Okay, so like you, it goes right, back to how are we judging this team against who? All right, you think
2: you think Florida is better than Georgia? Like, so first of all, who I still you feel really good about my Florida uh, right, you, you pick released against like a Georgia. top eight, right? Like you on the Twitter, you released like a top eight or something. I did, eight. yeah. Yeah. So who, who do you have ahead of Georgia in that ranking? I got several teams ahead of Georgia. <laughs> teams that actually won games this week is who I Name got. I got them. Notre Dame. Well, so I have Ohio yeah. State. So
3: I I included the okay. Big Ten. So right. I included the Big Ten. So I had Ohio State and mm-hmm. Penn State. I had Oklahoma State in there and BYU. Like you want some BYU love? Give me some BYU love I'm over okay Georgia. With BYU, actually. All, All right. right. So so do you also have Florida ahead of them? I do. And Florida's the Florida's the team that I'm really in a tough spot with because I don't have A&M ahead of them, even though they won, and I hate everything about the principal. Like, I'm a hypocrite because I criticize the AP for doing the same thing. But the way I do it is the same way the committee goes, hey, if they were a neutral field, who do you think would win again? Like, I think I think Florida would win in 10 games on a neutral field. I think Florida would win six to seven times. Against Georgia? beat them. Okay. No, against against a, a and M, oh, okay. against A&M. against AM. I agree so that's how I kind of talk my way out of that one even though I hate it
2: so if you, so you but you do actually believe that Florida is better than Georgia I do I think okay. they have defensive
3: problems but I think Florida is going to score points against Georgia I think they they're I think their defense is good but I think Florida's offense will be able to put up points and it goes back to the same thing against Florida's defense yes maybe they can get a shootout but do you trust Stetson Bennett to have to get in a high scoring game, similar to what we saw against Alabama. I don't.
2: All right. So you're so they're play. I mean, they play on a neutral site, obviously. Yeah. They're they're like right now, if the yeah. game was this weekend, you would bet you would pick Florida to win. I absolutely would. And I wouldn't even think twice about it. Okay, dude, like let's cut out the juice. Like you and me. You want to make a bet? <laughs> hey, wait, yeah, wait, wait, wait. Absolutely. Wait,
1: absolutely. You go Florida. Is the game That's between the t-
2: COVID gators
3: or healthy gators. Because <laughs> the gators are dealing with
1: some stuff right now. <laughs>
2: We got, what, three weeks to that game? Yeah.
3: No, that's what I'm
1: saying.
2: No, because yeah. you have – no, no, no. Because you would then have three weeks to, to like, create some sort of, like, <laughs> no. you know, reason for the – I am stubborn sure to a I fault. I will not
3: change my mind. They could lose three games, and I'll still go down with <laughs> Kyle Trask and company. The Super, Super Swamp small Brothers. brothers. <laughs> <laughs> so, so,
2: to, so you wouldn't be – you you're not necessarily ready to make that pick right now. You want to make that pick week of. Make that yeah, but I can make of. it. We
3: can make it now if you want.
2: They'll be fine. I feel confident. I feel kind I'd worry also, about man. who's
3: playing quarterback for you at Georgia.
2: I mean, I'd worry about who's coaching for you guys. <laughs>
3: <laughs> It'll be you guys. Now all of a sudden I'm Gator Danny. Yeah. <laughs> I like how that worked down.
0: <laughs> Gator Dan is uh yeah, has 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 entered the group chat. Uh, three
1: weeks from now I wanted to go to Florida, not Florida State. There just wasn't an offer for me. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Were you recruited by Florida?
3: I was, yeah. Me and Danny Werfel, both, uh, we chatted. We talked all the time during the recruiting process. He was your class? We, yeah. We decided together that we weren't going to go to the same school because he wanted to go to Florida State, too. Like we I was looking at Florida. We were both looking at him, and uh, I did jump the gun. I, w- I went first to Florida State. The next day, he went to Florida. So I took yep. the first choice, and I got it. Get
1: it if you want it. Jump in. Don't wait.
3: <laughs>
2: you, ever right. think what my, you ever think of what might have been? I do all the time. Like I love playing for for Spurrier, putting up with cards.
3: Absolutely. I loved my time at Florida State, but there's all the time like, I'll be like, man, I wonder what would have happened if I would have went to Florida. And it's okay. Like, I, because Warfel had an outstanding career. Dude, that's a Heisman. Like, what could have been? We'd be looking but, at
2: that turtleneck on stage at Radio City Music Hall or whatever yeah, place Exactly.
3: But Warfel was more coachable than me. Like, I, I don't know if I would have survived the uh, getting pulled every other series with Terry Dean or whatever it was that that freshman year when he was going in and out with that. I don't know if I would have. I don't know if I would have handled that as well as Warfel did. So everything worked out perfect for a reason. All
0: right, Danny. We'll, we'll announce tomorrow, okay? We'll both announce yep. tomorrow, I promise. Click. It's like, yep. yo, I'm going to Florida State. <laughs> <laughs> hey, Coach Bowden, I'm in. Yeah, I'm in. <laughs> All right. Order for Danny. Order for Danny. It's time for our Noles to go. The Florida State Seminoles, 31-7 at halftime. Hold on, even fourth quarter Sam Howell, mm. everything that he did to try to mount a comeback in that second half, uh, the, the explosive plays were numerous in, in the first half, including so, some big pass plays by Jordan Travis, uh, JT, as Danny's best friend, Charlie Ward, <laughs> Ward, likes to say. Danny, coming off the victory against the top five Tar Heels, has your opinion of the team, where they're at, uh, it changed it all? And what were the big takeaways?
3: No, I don't think it's changed at all. Like, I, I don't think they're going to win the ACC all of a sudden, and I don't think they're going to be the worst team in the ACC either. Uh, you, you, We all talked about this last week. Like, there were some positive signs that you've seen since they made the change at quarterback, yes, but just there's been an influx of positive energy. There's been a fresh, like, a breath of fresh air. And I hate doing it to James Blackman because I love the guy. He's such a good leader, such an emotional guy for that team. But he was struggling. I mean, that's the only way to put it. He was struggling. They made the switch. All of a sudden, you saw a little bit of life in the offense. And they go to Notre Dame. Even Notre Dame in the fourth quarter, Notre Dame was trying to score. Defense gets a stop, right? In the fourth quarter, nothing on the line except the spread, which some people might have been really watching that one closely. They got a stop to kind of just – and they didn't quit. Then against North Carolina, I thought for the first time, you saw the impact that coaching can make, which was very refreshing to see because I don't think we saw that in the last couple of years. I think it was holding them back sometimes, especially clock management things. But in this game specifically, I thought you saw plays designed that played to Jordan Travis's strengths. Like he is a running quarterback, right? We're all, and he has limitations right now as a passer. But all of a sudden, they dialed up a couple different play action passes built off the run game that they've been implementing on Jordan Travis. And what they do, they pop for really pretty, like he made some great throws, but a lot of them were wide open. Those mm-hmm. are scheme plays that they designed for him. So I thought the offensive game plan was phenomenal. And then on the defensive side of the ball, like when I see Josh Kando get a pick six because he recognizes there's a flare route coming steps in front of it and goes the other way. I'm like, Oh, he's seen this play before in practice. Like he's recognizing what he's been coached to do. So I thought it was a massive win from the perspective. of Okay. We can see some, some improvement happening, which is huge. We haven't seen that. It's been so negative. And it, now it's easy to say this, but during the second half, all I kept thinking was, oh my gosh, they're gonna blow another lead, aren't they? I know. Like this team. Like they're yeah. mentally frayed, and you could tell they were hanging on for dear life. North Carolina, a couple drop balls later, or else it would have been another disaster for Florida State. But just the fact that they could get that win, I think will it's just I think it makes for a much better first year Mike Norvell. Like there wasn't there wasn't much, you know bright, shiny things to look at and say, this is great. You didn't really see much. Now it's something tangible, like you saw results. You know, I think this team can turn it around a little bit and, you know, be a tougher out than a walkover opponent uh, for the rest of the schedule.
1: And, I mean, the next three weeks or next three games at least all suddenly look a lot more winnable. Louisville on the road looks winnable. Pitt, I think, is winnable. And Then you get NC State now without Devin Leary. It's, you know, things things might be a lot better for the Noles in three weeks. They might, know? but they might not.
2: True. Hate to be, hate to bring. No, you're Cole fine. I'm, I'm with you. I don't, I'm with you. <laughs> I mean, think about like what, I mean, because they had to have a block punt touchdown, a pick six, they didn't score in the second half and North Carolina had to drop a few passes late in that fourth quarter drive to, to get out of there with the win and a wins a win and North Carolina's a good team. And so, you know, I'm not going to make excuses for anybody, but, um, I still think like there's there's kind of a, a recipe for beating Florida state and we know what Jordan Travis is. Right. Um, that's going to be, I don't know. There's, there's going to be some challenges ahead of him. They still got to continue to like figure, figure more stuff, stuff out and continue to evolve. I to think. your point, Barton, it was like when they went
3: to those plays, it was like, okay, we've used them now. Right. <laughs> like, what's right.
2: now in the second half?
3: Yeah. And now the teams, now they'll like, that'll be part of the development of Jordan Travis. Can they continue this improvement? Totally agree.
0: They not blowing the fourth quarter lead was a huge step. Mentally, because you mentioned the drop balls by North Carolina's wide receivers. There were also a lot of penalties and like the kind of penalties that were starting to rack up and extend drives for North Carolina, uh, you know, like a roughing the passer, you know, just a bunch of things along the way you could see frustration was starting to build and the, Oh no, here it goes again, was able to, you know, you're able to keep that at bay. It's a big win, huge, big win, win to win make sure that you're subscribed to the Cover 3 podcast. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, all that. Make sure that you're subscribed to our YouTube channel, youtube.com slash Cover 3 for that multi-platform excellence because the Big Ten win totals are coming. We're going to hit you with Tuesday, Wednesday, Big Ten win totals. Then we're getting into our Week 8 locks on Thursday. Nothing but picks, nothing but winners the rest of the week. You subscribe, you get your notepad out, you take notes. Uh, what is it? What is it? Shout out Hakeem Dernamish. Uh, knowledge in your mind, money in your pocket. That's the way it goes out there. You can follow him on Twitter at Danny Connell. You can follow him at Tom You can follow him at Barton You can follow me at Chip underscore Patterson. Gentlemen, thank you very much.
1: Thank you. Mm-hmm. See you.